0: All right, so I was uh, going through and just kind of looking through Scripture and, and uh, reading certain passages of Scripture, and we, we all, you guys, anybody ever read John 3.16? Okay. okay, so, like, most of you have read John 3.16. I'll give you a donut if you can quote it. <laughs> All right, you guys get to split one. <laughs> All right, no that that is that is correct. Wow, yeah, it's good. That was like, if you if you went to a Christian school, that was like the verse that that was the first verse that you memorized. Because here's the thing: is whether you went to Christian school or not, that is a verse that we need to understand because that explains the entire New Testament. That explains everything that has happened in the that we read in the New Testament. But what I want to, to do is I, I want to read the story around that verse. We know that verse. We under, And some, sometimes I don't know if we all understand that verse, and we'll get into that. But I want to read this to you. So I'm going to read um, John 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. And I'm going to do a little explanation of, of what's going on here. Um, and this is the Amplified verse. It says, Now there was a certain man among the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler. He was basically a member of the Sanhedrin, which is like the ruling um, leaders that made decisions for the um, Jewish people and how they were going to live. So he came to Jesus that night and said to him, Rabbi, we know without any doubt you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs and wonders, these miracles that you do unless God is with him. So I want you guys to, to grab that verse r- real quick. He says he comes to Jesus at night. And he says, rabbi. So we're talking one of the lead rulers in the nation of Israel. We're talking one of the guys who sets and teaches the law to younger rabbis and to people who are going to be their disciples. This is a man who who understands everything about the law as much as you probably possibly can. He's probably, most likely if he's in the Sanhedrin, he's probably 50 to 60 or older. But he comes to Jesus at night and he says, Rabbi, here's the thing is, you don't call any person rabbi. He understood the wisdom that Jesus had and he submitted himself to Jesus. And he called him teacher. He called him rabbi. It wasn't just a, oh, hey, you know a lot. It wasn't you're a prophet. He called him rabbi because he knew that he would, when he talked to Jesus, he would receive something from him that he would understand Something from Jesus. So he goes to Jesus, he goes, you have to be from God. You must be from God in order to do this. And Jesus says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless a person is born again, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed and sanctified, he cannot see or experience the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? He's he's referring to himself. He cannot enter his mother's womb for the second time, can he? Jesus answered, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot ever enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be surprised that I have told you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it. And you hear its sounds, but you not, do not know where it is coming from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus because he sees what Jesus is doing. He sees and understands that whatever Jesus is doing is not from you know, some random person doing this. He sees the miracles. He's seen other people come before him and, and after um, Jesus that have done miracles. But he understands that he is the Son of God. But when Jesus says you have to be born again, he's like, what? Like, uh, we go back into the womb and then back out? He goes, that's a little, it's a little odd. And Jesus has to explain to him, no, it's not about that. It's not about being physically reborn. It's about taking what's inside of us and dying and being reborn. It's not about our flesh, it's about our spirit and our soul and and taking those and and being transformed from those. But Nicodemus in verse 9 says this, he says, how can this be possible? Jesus replied, you are the great and well-known teacher of Israel. He didn't say a, he said the. He said the teacher of Israel. And yet you do not understand these things. I assure you and solemnly say to you, we speak only what we absolutely know and testify about what we have actually seen as eyewitnesses. And still, you reject the evidence and do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe me and trust me if I tell you heavenly things? No man has gone up to heaven, excuse me, no one has gone up to heaven, but there is one who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man, just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the desert, so, must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life and live forever. So, Nicodemus is struggling to g- grasp this understanding of, of what Jesus is saying. Jesus spoke in parables a lot of times, so people struggled sometimes to understand because they weren't ready to understand it at that point. And, and, and Jesus would talk in ways that people could understand if they were willing to hear. Jesus said, those who are willing to hear, let them have ears. Those who are wanting to hear, let them have ears. Those who are ready to hear, let them have ears. But so many people, like the Pharisees, were baffled by the parables that Jesus told. And they're they're struggling with it. And you can see Nicodemus, he's struggling with understanding the principle of being born again. Thinking, well, I have to you know, I'm 60 years old. Do I have to go back into my mother's womb and come back out? I mean, that's awkward because his mom's probably not even alive anymore. Um, But he's struggling with this. Jesus is like, this is how, and then Jesus breaks it down. He has to say, okay, this is how it's going to work. So, and as most of you know, verse 16 says this. In the Amplified, I love how it breaks it down a little bit more. It says, so God loved, greatly loved, the dearly pri- And dearly prized the world, that he even gave his one and only Son, so whoever believes and trusts him as Savior shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but that he might save the world. Whoever believes and decides to trust him as their personal Lord and Savior is not judged, but the one who does not believe is judged already. Because he has not believed and trust in the name of Jesus. So, you know, we, we read that verse, but within context it makes more sense about what is happening in the, the, the story, in, inside of what is going on as um, people understanding it. Because sometimes I think we, we read a scripture and we come from the outside and we're not sure what it means. Have you, you ever been that way? You read something and you're like, what in the heck does this mean? Like, And I think sometimes reading John 3.16 is great, but we need to read before and after to understand what, scripture, what Jesus is talking about. Because unless we, we dive into Scripture and we, we start to look at what is happening, we're reading it out of context. You guys ever, you know, there, I love, there's some, certain verses people like to take out of context to make it for their own good. And it's like, no, that's not how that Scripture works, because you have to read before and after that. You know, like we take half a scripture and we use it, you know, all things work together for good. For good. There's an end to that scripture, which you haven't said, and there's a beginning to that scripture. A couple, there's a, um, a verse before that and a verse after that that we need to understand. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, hey, this is what you need to do. And this is how you're going to do it. This is how you're going to, to understand what I have to bring you. He's saying, i am not come to judge the world, I've come to save the world. And what happened is people were looking for a savior. They were looking for a king to come back and free them. They were looking for someone to defeat the Romans and say, hey, I, by the way, I'm here. I'm going to overthrow the Romans. We're going to set up a kingdom. We're going to set up a throne again, and it's going to be okay. And Nicodemus is expecting that because he doesn't understand what God is doing. He's like, you've come to overthrow the Romans, right? And Jesus is like, no. I've come to bring the kingdom of God. I've come to bring His kingdom to earth, not overthrow the Romans. The great thing about the kingdom of God is this. It doesn't matter if you're an occupied country or not. The kingdom of God is still present with you, still living with you, still living in you, and it can still function without having to be physically free. And that's why people hate Christianity. That's why countries hate Christianity, because what happens is is you can be enslaved captive chained prison tortured but they're still free because it's not about this it's not about the body it's about the mind and the spirit and saying you know no matter what happens to me no matter what is going on around me i'm still free because it's not you that makes me free it is him that makes me free we don't have we you know we talk about um, Persecuted church. Persecuted churches grow quicker. Why? Because they know what freedom is. They know what true freedom is. Not, oh, you know, I came to church this week and I'm free to go to church. Yes, you are free to go to church. But do you know that in persecuted countries in Cuba and in in China, these people are basically hiding to go to church. I was uh, listening to uh, a guy talk about how he was preaching in a a persecuted country, and this woman knew the entire book of John by heart. And he's like, how did you know that book? She goes, I read it. He goes, how did you read it if you were in prison? Someone would sneak me a scrap of paper in with one verse on it, and I would memorize that verse as fast as I could, as 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 many times as I could, before the guards found that paper and destroyed that paper. And the next verse would come in to me, and I would read that verse, and I would understand that verse, and I would recite that verse until I memorized it, and then until the guards took that piece of paper from me. And then the person would bring another verse in to me on paper. And I would read that verse and I would recite that verse and I would learn that verse until the guards took it from me. Until the point that she had memorized the entire book of John. We take lightly what we have here. We have so much freedom that we we are lazy in our freedom but the people that are persecuted don't take their freedom lightly. They don't take the kingdom of God lightly because of the freedom that he brings in here and in here. They don't, they don't, they're not worried about, hey, oh, I missed that episode on Netflix. I'll have to catch up with it. No, they're, they're trying to figure out, am I going to get food today? Am I going to be taken to prison for what I've been believing and what I've been talking about? And so Nicodemus is struggling to understand what is going on with what Jesus is saying. Jesus is like, I've brought the kingdom of God to you. My life is for the kingdom of God. He's not like, oh, I've come just to save you from the Romans. I've come to save you from sin. And Nicodemus is like, oh, wait a minute. When Jesus is talking to him, he's like, I've, my Father has sent me to take away your sin. That you, when you believe in me, your sin will be forgiven. And so the teacher of the law, not a teacher of the law, the teacher of the law. Think about this. You have the most powerful, one of the most powerful men in the entire country of Israel who is, knows the Scripture inside and out and he's sitting before the Son of God. At some point he had to understand that this was the Son of God. Not just a teacher, not just a prophet, but he had to understand that this was the Son of God and he's sitting before him. And the Son of God is speaking to him and telling him what he has to do to be born again. But Jesus wasn't like, hey, stupid, listen here. You know, he wasn't like, "Hey, oh, by the way, you're, um, you don't get it. You need to listen better." He was just like, Jesus was authoritative in his speaking, authoritative in his preaching, but he wasn't like, "Oh, hey, Nicodemus, you're stupid." He took Nicodemus just like he would have taken a um, Peter, James, and John when he said, "Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men." When he said, "Leave what you have behind." and follow me. He treated Nicodemus just the same way. Hey, I'm going to show you how to follow me. I'm going to show you what it, uh, it takes to have eternal life. And so he treats Nicodemus, even though he's the teacher of the law, as a student who needs a master, a student who needs a rabbi. So he's talking about salvation. He talks about, that is the first time you, you actually hear um, in, in an explained way what salvation is. There's moments in, in the scriptures where Jesus talks about what he's there for and why you need to follow him and, and, and different things like that, but Jesus is breaking it down. And so Jesus is sitting there and he's talking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus is probably asking him random questions. I don't know what he was asking him. And and, you know, we're talking about, you know, 2,000 years ago. But this was all written down. There's somebody overhearing this conversation. You know, this is this is John. So that means John somehow was listening to this conversation, whether he was in the same room as him. But John is getting this revelation, and he's writing it down. He's like, um... Can you, can you say that again? You know, I, you know, in my mind, that's what he's saying. He's like, you're, you're going way too quick for me, teacher. I need, you to, I need you to say this again. But he's sitting there and John is writing down one of the most important things that Jesus has ever said. Probably the most important thing that Jesus has ever said. Is that, that God, loved us. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. To be sinned for us. To be death in our place. And so, John is writing this down, and he's keeping track of this, and he's, he's not quite understanding probably everything that's going on, but he's like, I just got to write this down, this is good, I know this is going to be useful in, in, the, um, in the long run. But, skipping ahead, we I want to go to Romans 10, and... This is Paul. we're talking you know, I, I love how Jesus called his disciples. He calls average fishermen, he calls tax collectors. you know, think about this, you are the most hated person in the world. if you're a tax collector in Israel, that means you're Jewish and you're collecting taxes on your own people for the Roman government. so that in my mind is like okay. He's like the IRS times 10, you know, and, um, but Jesus calls those kind of people. Jesus didn't just say, oh, hey, by the way, I'm looking for, you know, people who have been trained for 20 years to follow me. Jesus is like, I need people who don't understand so I can tell them how to bring the kingdom of God. You guys ever gone into a project or done something and you're like, I understand this. And then you get into it and you're like, oh crap, I don't understand this. I think I, I, I know too much to understand it. And you analyze it and you try to come, come around in six different ways. And you're like, yep, I should have just listened instead of trying to do it myself. I think that's what Jesus was looking for is people that didn't understand, have one clue on what to do instead of, you know, the rabbis and say, okay, now I've got to re-educate you. I've got to get the religion out of you to do this. So he chose Paul. Okay, so Saul who is slaughtering Christians and taking them to prison and you know, taking their money and taking their, their possessions, he chooses Saul to become Paul who would write the Scripture. And it says in verse 10, Paul says this, he goes, Brothers, my heart, desire, and prayer to God for you is that you may be saved. For I bear witness that they have zeal of God, but not according to the knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their, their own they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes it says verse 5 it says for Moses writes about righteousness that is based on the law the person who does not ha- excuse me who does the commandments shall live by them but the righteousness based on faith says do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven what it does say is the word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And that refers back to what? John 3. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on those who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Jesus is introducing salvation to Nicodemus. He's introducing salvation and what is going to happen to his disciples in that conversation in John 3. And then Paul who has a revelation of God and Jesus further than anyone else in Scripture. If you read through the New Testament, Paul has a revelation of Jesus Christ that is beyond anybody out there. He understands His love, His grace, His mercy, His righteousness, salvation, whatever it is. He understands it better than anybody. And he's writing letters to these people saying, this is what you need to understand. Paul had that revelation because he received it. I think sometimes we don't have that revelation because we haven't received that revelation yet because we haven't received Christ in His fullness. We've received salvation, but Paul received Christ in His fullness. He received Christ in everything about him, and he lived in it. He lived in His mercy and His grace when he didn't deserve mercy and grace because he was killing the same people that he is now preaching to. But he says... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It says for one, the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is, saved, and is saved. Excuse me. So what he's saying is, is this: the heart has to understand that we are sinful. The heart has to understand that without God, there's no heaven that we have fallen short. Most of you know in that scripture, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Depending on what translation you're reading. But, that means every one of us has fallen short. There's a bar, and it's this high, and we're, at, and we're here, and we're here, and we're here. We can never reach that bar. That bar is Jesus Christ, because he was sinless. He lived a sinless life. He laid his life down for people. He became sin for us. Took our sin from us so that we wouldn't have to be separated from God. And I think what what people don't realize, they they think of of salvation as this, is heaven or hell. And and that is a, a, a major part of it. But I want you guys to think about this is Is hell is not just fire and brimstone. It is complete and utter separation from God. We don't even, I think people that are are not even saved don't even realize what complete and utter separation from God is. Because He is still hovering around them, He's still knocking on their door. He's like, Hey, I love you. Open your heart to me, open yourself to me. But Hell is not just him there, not living in your heart and living in your life. It is complete separation from God. It is literally utter darkness where God has separated himself from us. So there's not even Jesus knocking on the door of our heart. And Paul's like, this is my heart's desire for them that they would understand salvation, that they would understand what God has done for them, what what Christ did on the cross that they would be redemptive that they would be redeemed from the curse that is separation from God you know we we always talk about you know what God will do for you when we're trying to get people saved it's like oh do you want to go to hell and burn you know and all that stuff and and it's uh, the way we go about it doesn't really make people want to come to Christ. It's always a, a fear thing. It's always a, oh, it's hot down there and you've got to, you know what? No, it's not about the flames. It's about the separation from God. That He is not even there. You read in the Old Testament, or um, in, this, in the Gospels, it talks about how, you know, the man's in hell and he's like, I just want a drop of water. I just want to drop of water. And, they, and we use that analogy to scare people. And I, I don't want to scare you. I want to encourage you that being born again is not about just being saved. Oh, I'm going to heaven. Yes, that is, that is, a, that is the eternal part of it. That is the end part of it. Being born again is, is not about just going to heaven. It's about having that relationship with God. It's about having that relationship with God so when we do pass and we are in heaven, we are united with our God when we are born again. And we live in eternity with Him. But without salvation, we're, we're not just put in another place. It's that separation that is the pain and it is the agony and it is the, it is the, the gnashing of teeth. is why that is there because there is separation from God. So, Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus, and he's introducing salvation to Nicodemus, the teacher of the law. He's introducing that information to him, and he says, "This is what it is." So Nicodemus doesn't just disappear after that. He, you see him throughout some more scriptures, and it's mostly in, it is in John in John seven fifty through fifty one Nicodemus spoke to a group of unbelieving. Pharisees against unlawfully seizing Jesus. So Nicodemus wasn't per se a disciple, one of the 12 disciples, but there was a, a connection between Jesus and Nicodemus. And he had that and he followed Jesus and he believed Jesus. He wasn't a disciple, wasn't one of the 12 that traveled with him and, and you know, got into trouble and had to get you know, out of trouble and Jesus had to teach them, but he, he followed Jesus from a distance, I believe. Because here's the thing is he defended Jesus. In John 19.39 says, After Jesus was crucified, Nicodemus joined Joseph of Arimathea in giving Jesus a traditional Jewish burial. It says Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So Nicodemus didn't have that one-on-one relationship with Jesus, but he knew of Jesus, and he followed Jesus from a distance and watched what Jesus did. And he honored Jesus. He defended Jesus. And there's not much written after that about him. There's history of Israel and different things like that that are talked about, but in the Bible there's really nothing of him after that. Um, But he spent that time with Jesus and it transformed him. It changed who he was. Did he probably still preach the law? Yes. Because he didn't understand the full measure of grace. He didn't understand what everything was. And we don't know a lot about him after that, but he honored Jesus when Jesus had died. He knew who Jesus was. He saw the importance of what Jesus was saying. You know, I I look at Nicodemus, and he was probably, you know, pretty wealthy. He was the teacher of the law. He probably had money. He probably had everything he really needed. And he probably knew that following Jesus, giving up everything, was going to be tough. So I think he loved Jesus, he followed Jesus, but he couldn't follow Jesus. He, he wasn't quite ready to, to come follow me. And so he learned from Jesus. I, I can just imagine he was probably standing in the background pretending that he was you know, doing his Pharisee type thing when Jesus was preaching, when all the other Pharisees were you know, complaining. He was probably back there listening to Jesus and soaking it up. But he learned something that no other Pharisee got to learn. No other person really outside of Jesus' group was honored to have that conversation with him about eternal life. Think about this, he came to him at night because he probably didn't want to be sit um, sitting out in an open space in the middle of the day with Jesus. You've got Jesus and you've got the teacher of the law having a conversation. And it was probably a pretty, pretty private conversation. But he got the honor of hearing that God so loved the world that He sent His Son. And so when we look at that, you know, Paul talks about salvation all the time because Paul had, the under, had a greater understanding of salvation than I think anybody else in the New Testament. Because he was wrong and he was a murderer and God redeemed him. He brought him back from where he was. He transformed his life. In Romans 1.20-21 20 it says this, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see invisible qualities. His eternal power and divine nature. So that no one has excuses for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him. Or give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Think about it. Children of Israel come out of Egypt. It so says none of them were sick. The Egyptians gave them wealth, said, take it, just leave. We don't like you anymore. We don't want you anymore. Please leave. They gave them wealth. They came out, some of the richest people ever on the face of the earth. God says, oh, you're going to camp here. I'm going to give you here. No. Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. And he comes back down and they have a golden calf. He's like, I leave you for like a couple days and you're already left. I leave you and you're already off doing whatever you think is right in your own mind. But it says, in Romans it says, their minds became dark and confused. It's because they had never understood who God was. They wanted to, uh, to figure out... Through the Old Testament, you look at they were worshiping idols. And then they're like, oh, we have to have a king. God's like, I am your king. No, we need a physical king because that'll make us look better. They wanted somebody in a physical form to rule over them instead of letting God rule in them. The thing is, is they wouldn't worship him because they wanted something to bow down to. They wanted a physical form to bow down to instead of saying, you know I'm going to worship God. Jesus, what did he say to the woman at the well? He goes, I know you've had hu- uh, lots of husbands and boyfriends or whatever, but and they say you can only worship in Jerusalem, but I tell you right now, you will worship in spirit and in truth. It doesn't matter where you worship, you will worship in spirit and in truth. But they had to have this mindset of, I have to have a temple or we have to have a spot. We put a a weird gold cow in front of us. We bow down and worship it. And Moses is like, I just came back from God with some rules that you can live by. And while I'm gone, you start worshiping some weird whatever thing you created. So what happens is this is they in our humanness we attempt to be better than what we are. We attempt to be good. Well, I volunteered at least six hours here every month, and I did this, and I and I do this and I pray this, and it's not about that. Romans three twenty three says, For all have sinned, and in their futile attempts, futile, resistance is futile. It's a trap. Um in their futile attempts to reach God in his glory they fail. In our own attempts, in our sin, we try to justify what we do. We try to oh well I go to church every week. It doesn't matter if we go to church every week. It's it's about have we surrendered our lives to Jesus? Our lives to Jesus Christ? And we have to realize it's we are sinners. We cannot continue to go on and well. Well, oh, God loves me. Yes, God loves you. He doesn't love you the way you are though. In our culture, we're like, oh, every, you're just God made you the way you are and you're good enough and you just do you. Every time I hear that, I just want to throw up. Because what happens is, is this, is we tell people, oh, that's how God made you and this is how, who you are and you're good enough. And, but it says in Romans that we have all sinned. Every one of us in our lives have sinned. And we need God. We need forgiveness. The great thing is this, is we're not worthy of His grace and His mercy, but in His loving kindness He extended it to us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that was Romans 5.8, just to let you know. And I'll actually read the scripture for you, because I've kind of paraphrased. <laughs> but God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. See, I made it a bit longer than what it needed to be. So, And that's the great thing, is, is the only way through sin is Jesus Christ. He is the door to the Father. What did he say? He says, no one comes to the Father except through... Me, not me, Him, Jesus. The only way to get to to the Father in heaven is through Jesus Christ. And what we have to realize is this, is Romans 6.23 says this, is the payment of sin is death. And I don't mean physically dying, it's that separation. It's the eternal separation, that eternal death from Jesus Christ. But God gives us a free gift in life forever in Jesus Christ. Romans 10 says this If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For in believing in your heart that you were made right with God and confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Salvation is not this. Big extravagant um, thing where you have to come up front and you have to kneel and you have to cry and weep and and all those things some people have conversions like that some people don't some people have conversions while they're sitting in their chair and they realize that they need a savior some people have a conversion while they're laying in bed at night and they realize my life is a mess and I need a savior In Romans 10, 13, it says, For whoever, whoever means who and ever, which is you guys, you're whoever's, you're a bunch of whoever's, um, calls on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. It's not a select few that get chosen. It's not God chose these people before the beginning of time and these people will go to heaven and these people won't. That's a bunch of crap. Don't listen to that. It's whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved whoever means anybody. So don't let anybody tell you when they knock on your door and say, have you heard the good news? Yes, I have. Jesus Christ died for all of us. And we can all be in eternity with him. I don't get people that knock on the door and say that. Probably because we have three dogs outside and they, <laughs> they, they walk through the driveway, have you heard the good news? And then they get growled at. Um, but... There's no, there's no formula for this. There's no say these words and you're going to be saved. It's no, it's not about that. It's about, it's a connection between God when he's tugging on our heart and that connection, you realize it's there and he's tugging and you, it's that conversation between you and him. It's not repeating a certain set of words. It's not repeating after me and saying this. It's about that, that moment that God tugs on your heartstrings and you're like that's when you realize you need that savior and you start to have that conversation with him and you confess that you need him and you call him lord Romans 11:36 says this for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory All glory to Him forever. Amen. Here's the thing is, you being born again, confessing with your mouth that He is Lord and and you shall be saved, that doesn't do anything for Him. It's for you. But what happens in you brings glory to Him. So here's the thing is, everything that we do should bring glory to God. Everything that we say, everything, and that's none of us do that. We all have those days, those years, those moments where it doesn't bring glory to God. But there's mercy and grace and forgiveness in that. But what Paul is saying, he goes, that when you are born again, it's not glorifying you, it's glorifying the Father in heaven. It's that what happened is every time someone is saved, it just emphasizes what God did. He sent his son to die for us, to be sin for us, so we could be with him forever. So anytime one person is saved, it's not about the church, it's not about the pastor, it's not about that person. It's about God receiving the glory for what Christ did. When we're born again, it brings glory to God because there's another one that Satan doesn't have. So when we're born again, the angels rejoice and they give praise to God who's ama- who had the idea from the beginning, before the beginning of time, whenever, I don't know how he would... I'm not going to get into that. But he had that idea before Adam and Eve were even created to send his son. And it all goes back to bringing glory to God. It's not about bringing glory to man. It's about bringing glory to God. So Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his great love that he sent his son to die for us. That we should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so what happens is, is we have to start to realize that it's not about us anymore. Salvation is a small part of our relationship with God. It's the entry point. It's that knocking on the door and opening the door to let Jesus in. And then saying, my life is not mine anymore. I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to Christ. And if I'm alive to Christ, that means I bring glory to God. I bring glory to His kingdom, to His purpose, His mission. Acts 2.38 says this, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, John the Baptist is in the, in the wilderness before Jesus comes and he says, he says repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He says I'm preparing a way in the wilderness. He, he's, he's preparing. The, John is, a, is the last Old Testament prophet in the New Testament and he's preparing a way for Jesus because when Jesus comes in he's bringing this change in how we relate to God and how we become close to God. And so... John was bringing glory to God by celebrating what Jesus was coming to do. And so when Jesus is there, John's job is done. And John submits himself to Jesus, basically, and says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John understands who Jesus is. I mean, they're cousins, but they're also co-laborers in the kingdom of God at that moment. So John understands who Jesus is and he submits himself to Jesus because he understands that he is the Messiah. He is the chosen one to take away the sins of, of the world. And so John has to learn that it's not just about cousins anymore. You know, This is about Son of God and John the Baptist, a human who needs a Savior still. John the Baptist could have got a big head and said, oh, he's just my cousin. He's crazy. I grew up with him. He probably fell down on his head too many times. But John understood the relationship they had, but also understood that he wasn't dealing with just his cousin. He was dealing with the, with the Son of God standing there in front of him. And John was so moved by that. Jesus is like, hey, you have to baptize me because I have to start my ministry. I have to, I have to continue on. And John's like... I need to be baptized by you. And I think in our lives we have to start to, to take that role of John the Baptist, is, is accept Christ, but take that second seat. Because John the Baptist was, was the man on the scene at that moment. He was the guy that everybody hated or loved, wanted to kill or be with. And he said, "You know what? He saw Jesus and he's like, "This is I'm done." Uh, my job is to is to take a second seat to him, and to preach what he is he is preaching. So, to to um, bring glory to him, to bring um, the spotlight to him. And in our lives, when we're born again, it has to be the second seat. We have to be that John the Baptist and take that second back, step back, and say this is about Jesus and what he's doing, and everything I'm doing, everything I'm saying is going to point towards Jesus, so that when people see me, they're going to get pointed towards him. We may not be able to bring thousands of people to the Lord. We might bring one person in our entire life, but when we do that, we're pointing them to Jesus. And we're taking that step back and say, it's not what I said. It's not what I, I'm how I'm preaching. It's not what I'm doing. It's about the Holy Spirit moving in you so that when I speak, you see Jesus, that you're being pointed towards him. John the Baptist was the best pastor ever because he knew how to step back and let Jesus take that lead. Even though Jesus wasn't in his ministry, John had his own ministry, he took that step back and said, Jesus is the one who you need to look to. I'm just telling you about who, when he was coming. So John was out in the wilderness preaching that Jesus was coming. And when Jesus comes in, he's like, my job's done. Now I just got to lead them to him, point them to him. And John's like, you can have my disciples. You teach them. You do better than me. You know better than me. So he took that step back. And with salvation, we have to take that step back. It's not us, but Christ that lives in us. It's us taking saying, it's your will, not mine. It's your life, not my life. When we give ourselves to God, when we give our lives to him, we're basically saying, do with with me as you please. It's not what I want, it's what you want. It's not my will, it's your will. It's your kingdom, not my kingdom. Paul referred to himself as what? A slave to Christ. Basically saying, I'm going to give. I've given myself to him. He tells me what to do. He directs me. He leads me. He tells me when to come, when to go. And that's how I'm going to live my life. But whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. When we call on His name and say, you know what, I'm a sinner. I screwed up a lot in my life. I've done stupid things. I've done bad things. But I need a Savior. I need someone who's going to wash my sin away. Who's going to take sin from me and make me right with God. Nicodemus was the guy who got to understand that for the first time. That had to have changed him. He didn't get Romans. He didn't get to understand all of that. But there was something in that conversation with Jesus when Jesus said, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son to the world. That had to have changed him. And if that did, if it changed him, how much more with an explanation from the Gospels and the New Testament do it? do we have that can change us? It's just about surrendering yourself to Christ. It's not about having that conversation and bargaining with Him. It's surrendering our life to Christ and saying, it's not my life, it's your life. Please take it. You guys ever had uh, moments where you're like, life sucks, I don't like life right now. You have no answers, you have no reasons, you have no way to understand what was going on in life. In those moments is where we have to say, this is not my life. I can't do this on my own. You guys ever try to do anything on your own? Jesus, you stay in the car. I'll handle this, this argument by myself. You leave Jesus in the car. You go in and have that conversation. And it blows up in your face. It's like, that's where we need it. We need God in our life. And we have to submit ourselves to Him in every area of our life. Let's pray.